Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so the first block of FPL fixtures has finished. It starts with a Greenwood cameo as United played Saints, continued for a Raz appearance in a Kun storm, a rare sight of two top four clean sheets and ended with a Jota benching, a Dean assist and an electric North London derby which ended in a Desmond. Uh, before we swan off for a while to avoid the inevitable squabbling on FPL Twitter, we're about to dispatch on this week's events. And finally, now we have stats, have looked forward a little bit uh, using those ahead of FPL resuming after the international break. I'm joined today by Nick and our first in-season guest of the season in Adam Hopcroft at ahopcroft13 on Twitter. Uh, This is Adam's second season, I think, as a really active account and his background of insightful use of stats and data in his posts couldn't be better timed in terms of his appearance today. Uh, Welcome, Adam. And uh, just in case people don't know you, would you mind introducing yourself quickly to the good people? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on, uh, Tom and Nick. So, yeah, you're right. It's my second proper full season on Twitter. I've been playing FPL now for this my ninth season, had six top 10k finishes. Based on my start this season, it's looking, it's, it's looking very unlikely that it'll be seven, but uh, we'll have, have to wait and see. But yeah, like you said, I post quite a lot of stat-related uh, stuff. I also post quite a bit on Villa as well, so from my accent you can probably tell that uh, I'm a Villa fan or from, from the Midlands. Yeah, welcome um, from me too, Adam. Uh, fantastic to have you on the pod again today. Yeah, it was an exciting weekend of football, culminating in that dramatic North London derby. But on a share this time, Tom, so there's not going to be any jabs or references to fortune this time round. Um, just to say who we are, <laughs> okay, who got the assist, you can find us on Twitter, at WGTA underscore FPL or at WGTA underscore Nick. Um, so make sure to follow us there if you use Twitter. And, um, of course, I'm, I'm contractually obliged to say this every pod. Please make sure to, um, to listen either via iTunes or SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you'd like, and to subscribe and give us a review if you'd like what you hear. So, Tom, what are we talking about today? Uh, well, with Adam on, it'd be remiss of us not to bask in his statistical glory, as the nature of this pod kind of laces itself up nicely. We'll try to think about some future trends, both of individual players and the price points they occupy too. Of course, we'll move on to the features and questions. There are lots of them this week, so thanks very much for those. Let's start with the game week reviews. And um, Adam, as the guest, um, how was your game week? How's it going? Not too great by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, terrible. I'm still having the fallout of uh, last week's wild card, unfortunately. So I think I'm on 46 points. There or thereabouts, so mid-40s. Um, didn't take a hit. So my transfer was... Um, I bought Mason Mountain for Martial. Um, I did consider bringing either Trent 
or um, Halloran, but um, decided to do it, uh, not to do it on both accounts. So I'd have been up if I'd have done it, but um, obviously decided not to. So no, not very good game week, unfortunately. Um, I think probably the, the Laporte um, injury was a particular low point. He's one of my differentials in my wildcard team. So I think I've had a bit of bad luck. I think Rashford definitely should have scored this week, should have scored the week before. So uh, my patience is running very, very thin with him. For me, it's actually a red arrow, but I did score 61 points. So a bit of a oh, surprise, wow. to be honest, to get a red arrow from that. Oh, that's crazy. I, don't I did take a minus four as well. So I guess that contributed. Uh, to all okay. It didn't feel like a great week, at least sort of from the 3 p.m. kickoffs with the Sterling blank. And I was actually tempted to wildcard off the back of it. De Bruyne obviously got me 13 points. And the big the back sort of defenders all kind of contributed quite heavily to my points this week so that, that was good to see because obviously they, they hadn't been performing uh, too good um at the start of the season but yeah D- Dean managed five points in the end actually um somehow picked up a bonus from that assist as well um Trent Alexander-Arnold 11 pointer which was fantastic Van Dijk got seven Zinchenko got six and then um, and Mo got a goal as well so yeah a re- reasonable score but yeah Red Arrow which is obviously a little bit disappointing Pretty much the same for me as well. I got 54. I didn't do any transfers though, which was quite good. Um, so I've got two free transfers to use over the international break. It was a story of one pointers though, unfortunately. Um, so outside of Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Mo Salah getting the assist and the double Liverpool defence coming through finally after four game weeks, who would have imagined it would take so long? I was relying on the likes of Jota, the likes of Greenwood and the likes of Shea Bellos uh, getting off the bench basically to do anything to give me points in my team because of my dead bench of Balbuena and Dondonka. It wasn't particularly good. My team's looking okay, but a bit rough around the edges. And I'm looking forward to coming back after the international break, uh, powered by the plutonium of a uh, mini wildcard, I think. I'm, I think I'm going to do Jota to Barnes tonight, actually, because Jota's going to fall. But yeah, after that, I'm going to kind of sit and meditate on what I'm going to do with the final two transfers. One will be for the other three, one will be for a hit. And I expect I'll wait until um, after the international break games are concluded for that. But yeah, no, it sounds like we're all uh, in a similar, not particularly good boat after this game week. Um, I'm on a sinking ship, definitely, at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll turn it around. As, always, <laughs> as, as we always say about players, you don't do anything in our teams for weeks. They've got the quality, yeah. like the Andy Robertson of FPL this season. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to the, uh, to the main topic then. Actually, before we do that, let's have a quick word on, on stats and the use of stats. We've got two examples here. and We might as well just talk about it quickly. Stats will always be there, basically, and increasingly... Expected stats will always be there too. And that's regardless of the argument you're making, whether it's an I don't like them, fair enough, or whether it's you think it's too complicated for people, all right, I I don't really agree with you, but fair enough. If listening to us, you know that we use expected stats and stats a fair bit. This is always used as part of rather than the full picture. Like we'll always give our observations from watching the football itself because that's something which we think is actually very useful, surprisingly. And there are lots of merits in expected stats. There's lots of merits in the eye test alone. But the use of stats, I think, and expected stats has descended into the realm of personal preference. And I just personally want out of that argument because it just doesn't get you anywhere it's the same as debating the merits of var effectively because it's always going to be there, <laughs> it? it's not going to go anywhere either of you guys got anything to mention on that i'd agree with what you've said i just think they form part of a picture along with the eye test i think using multiple stats is always good rather than just a singular one so just rather than just using xg looking at other things shots and bar with the box because most goals scored in the box and getting a full idea of what a, what a player is doing but I'm, I'm with you I completely agree I think the part of the bigger picture and like you said they'll always be there so 
thing for me. I think statistical analysis is sort of a massive part of the game and it it's something that I use quite heavily when I'm trying to make my FPL decisions. Obviously, with, with 10 games a week, you, you don't have time to uh, to watch every single one and even watching just highlights of them all doesn't necessarily give you the full picture in terms of what happens during the game. I also find that often you can find that um, you, when you're reading commentary or reading something, you know, people's talking about the game often you see sort of contrasting opinions you can't even tell which one's accurate because it's all essentially people's opinions are subjective whilst the uh, the data is is cold hard it's it's a fact that this happens so you might see someone say for instance uh luca dean was very dangerous and creating lots of chances someone else, else might say that it was seamus coleman where the, where the threat was coming from and he's the more dangerous of the two fullbacks and using stats, you can say, actually, right, so-and-so says Coleman, the other person says Dean, I can actually go in and see that it was um, Luca Dean that created more chances in that game than Seamus Coleman. You've, I've seen it before as well on, on Twitter, where you, you literally log on to Twitter and one person is saying Kane is playing terribly, the one above is saying Kane is looking dangerous. And you're thinking, well, is he playing terribly? Was he looking dangerous? And uh, <laughs> having that sort of data to kind of back up your thoughts is is really useful. So at the end of the game, you see that Kane um, actually took five shots or something, two in the box. It's actually, yeah, that was pretty dangerous. So uh, I do find it is um, very useful for me. And I find it more reliable than sort of listening or sort of reading people's opinions generally, to be honest. The only caveat I would, that would say, and I agree with everything that, that's been said, is that I think when watching games, there's certain things that stats do not pick up. So, for example, if a player's played through on goal and miscontrol it, or if you know they narrowly miss a cross, um, I think there's things like that where the eye test can really, really help. Um, a shot on target as well could be a P roller from 40 yards, or you know something which is tipped onto the bar. So I think the eye test helps give stats context and vice versa. I think the only other thing that I would add, which I think a lot of people overlook with um, expected stats and stats in general, is form and confidence because we'll often say a player is outperforming their stats and I think the, the, the regression typically can happen over the long term they will regress to the mean there's no I think that's quite a common thing but in FPL we're usually playing over the short term really we're, you know we're looking at bringing a player in for six eight eight weeks and I think form and motivation are two factors that often get overlooked because I think a player that's on form you know you can they'll hit anything and it will fly in and I think there's been countless examples in FPL like that expected goals is really good over the long term you'll find over quite long periods of time they do tend to match up to to reality but you will always get those purple patches where form and a player's motivation I think there was United last year when they changed manager you could see there was such a spring in the step of likes of Pogba and Rashford and I think they're the things that maybe stats don't always quite pick up it certainly is. I remember that Nikita Jelovic, when he joined Everton, I yeah, think yeah. he scored a goal every single shot over the first five, six, seven games, wasn't it? He was an absolute beast after he joined in the, in the winter transfer window. Michael Ricketts at, uh, oh, at yes, Bolton, yes, another good yeah, example yeah, yeah. of that. Just yeah. had a wonder time when he was yeah. just on fire and then fell off a cliff because that he was overperforming so much. He was on form. No, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, I don't set the clock back to November the 5th, 1955 and think, oh, yes, that's all terrible. I can see why people might think that. But yeah, it, it is part of the game. And as you say, like, having the context is what's really, really important. Let's move on to the actual meat of today then. Uh, overall, I guess the question is, how do we see it moving um, over the next kind of little term? So FPL Chancellor has always got 
the question, which is uh, the nub of the zeitgeist, which was three five two. Does he see? Do we see three five two being the thing? Because we've mentioned there's there's so many options out there, especially in the midfield and up front at the moment. Like, could three four three even make its reappearance? So I I just don't know. There are so many different ways it could go. How do we think it's going to develop, guys, from here? Uh, Adam, you first. What do you think? If I was wildcard now, I would go three four three, and I think I think it's quite nice actually that. It was getting, I don't want to say defenders are boring, but when you're watching matches, you want goals and um, you want your, you know, it's nothing more exciting than seeing your FPL player scoring rather than sweating for 90 minutes, hoping for a clean sheet. So I think the way it's going, there's a lot of attacking talent in the Premier League. I think the majority of defences, you've got Liverpool have obviously got Alisson out and I think that really impacts them. City have got Laporte out. I still fancy they'll keep clean sheets because they have so much of the ball. But I think the rest of the defences, I can't honestly say I'd be confident investing in any of the defences and picking out, you know, a team getting three or four clean sheets in six matches. And I think that for that reason, straight away, and I think the fact that Liverpool's fixtures toughen rules out a double up for me long term. I think it is definitely worth looking, and we've talked about the six six million plus forward and uh, midfield options. I think there's a, definitely enough to have three three strikers at the moment. The bracket is that mid price striker. I think the likes of Firmino have made a strong case. Vardy this weekend. Um, when I was looking earlier, I looked at every um, team's top scorer, and this was before we get today's games, and ten of them were strikers. And I think that says it all. The dynamics changed possibly how we didn't anticipate it at the start of the season. Clean sheets will come at a certain point, but in terms of predictability, you look at the top six teams, City and Liverpool have got challenges defensively. Spurs, to me, I, mean, I think have conceded in every game and have looked, you know, they've looked like they can, you know, teams can score against them. Same for Arsenal. And then you look at Chelsea and United. I think United, I, I, think, I think, although they've got quite a low XGC in terms of expected goal, I think they're the lowest actually in the, in the league. So, you know, Linda, Linda, for me, Lindelof and Maguire still look a little bit suspect. So I think every team is, um, I don't think you, I think you're better off pushing the, the funds forward personally. On the, the other thing I would say, it's a more fun way to play FPL. <laughs> Nothing better. I've, I've been thinking about this recently. I want seven players that can score goals, so proper attacking players because, you know, waiting for clean sheets, unless it's City or Liverpool, it's hard work watching the games. And I think it takes the fun out of it. And I think there was a time definitely last year, towards the end of last year, where and uh, key points where it made sense to go big at the back. And I think I understand the logic and I did it to start the season that way. But I think it's nicely set up. There's loads of great attacking talent. There's loads of great number nines in the Premier League now, which there wasn't last year. Everyone was around Raul Jimenez like he's the next great thing. If you look at it now, the majority of teams have got that type of player. 
I'm still going to keep the, the two Liverpool defenders for the time being, but I'm probably going to be looking after that Chelsea game. I mean, one thing I did note from looking at um, the SGC and looking at last year's as well is how much worse Liverpool's is. There was 2.72 at this point last year after game weeks 1-4. It's 4.74 at the moment. As you said, there are quite a lot of defensive challenges. It's a bit nerve-wracking watching them at times. Um, and as you say, at the start of the season, I think things do kind of have a habit of being a bit strange, like being a bit funny. Like the lowest SGC at the moment is actually Leicester. And season at this point, the lowest SGC was Watford. It kind of shows that it, it does take some time to settle down. Quite, I was quite happy to see the double Liverpool clean sheet. And I still maintain it. It was a good thing. Like you can't, you can't legislate for hours and being injured. At the same time, yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right in that the, the abundance of options who are emerging going forward, um, as you can see by the price of those we've spoken about, may mean that I have to have a bit of a rethink and maybe just have Trent, Dean and somebody else at, at the back in the back three and then move pull all the money forward. Cool. Uh, Nick, as the biggest proponent of big at the back on the planet, apart from Neil Murray, um, <laughs> what, do, what, what do you think about this? Are you tearing your hair out? Are you selling your Liverpool defenders in anger? What's going on? You know, I'm, I don't think at this moment I'm going to jump on, on the hoverboard and, and join you guys necessarily. And this, I was in a sort of a, I say, bad way. I wasn't, you know, heavily contemplating the wild cards until I saw that Liverpool game. And, um, you know, the defenders sort of delivered in a big way. And in, as I said, sort of, I had four defenders this game week that all, all scored me points. So I'm, I'm not going to be sort of critical of, of the defenders and say they're all, you know, it's time to get rid of them all and, and go cheap at the back and, and not spend the money. I mean, I've got the double Liverpool defence. So I feel like that's good money for a clean sheet next week against Newcastle. So sort of Luca Dean, Everton um, conceded too, but he still managed to, to pick up an assist and a, a bonus in that game. So he got me sort of five points and uh, Zinchenko. Um, kept me a clean sheet as well, so it was pretty um, pretty solid week actually for the defenders this week. At least sort of the, the premium choices, and I do agree that there doesn't seem like many teams at all that are going to keep clean sheets over the course of the season. Obviously, the Port being injured is is a big blow to Manchester City as well. But um, I still, you know, really see the, the likes of sort of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Luke Dean as really you know important assets in my FPL team that aren't just sort. Of, clean sheet um, creators but also key attacking outlets that can get sort of attacking returns we saw Trent you know was brilliant in the um, in the game against Burnley and um, I can see you know Trent obviously got 12 assists last season he could easily match that target again this season when that's, that's far more than you expect from the majority of the midfielders my formation at the moment has been 4-5-1 and I am strongly considering a little bit of a shift around but I think it's going to be more of a move at this moment in time towards sort of trending towards a 4-4-2 to be honest I think that definitely adds a little bit of flexibility um, I think the one man one pronged attack is just not enough in terms of forwards right now I feel like I do need a second forward in my team so that's probably going to be my sort of short term um, move in towards sort of having two um, two forwards but I'm not sure I'm going to give up um, the four defenders at this particular moment in time. They're obviously with the sort of the, the Liverpool trickier fixtures coming up. Um, you know, then it might be that I have to sacrifice one of them and perhaps downgrade and sort of spend some forwards, spend some money um, more up front. So I'm not I'm not ruling anything out at this particular moment in time, but it might be something that has to happen on the wild card. But for now, I'm sticking with four at the back. 
Yeah, a final point on this as well is that at the moment, the mean number of clean sheets is uh, very, very low, um, which is quite strange, actually, because over the course of the last 10 years, the mean has been 5.6, the mean meaning the average, of course. But in the first kind of three games of the season, the average clean sheets per week was 4.67, which would have meant there were a total of 177 clean sheets overall. Uh, the lowest ever that's been is 191 2010-11. Data from Tim Bayer, by the way. Um, that kind of means that I think that clean sheets will pick up if we're talking about the regression to the mean that we spoke mm-hmm. about at the top it will happen again you will see clean sheets again uh, but I completely appreciate what you mean Adam about having to sit through and uh, yeah r- really is such a bad experience it? Like I sat through that Burnley game and when Jay Rodriguez was through at the end I, I, my heart was literally stomping out of my uh, I feel like it, it's quite exciting sometimes though you're just like watching those last two minutes you're like <gasps> you know every minute of the game counts from an FPL perspective though I guess you can't relax as well which is also always I had, to go, I, had to, I had to go I had to go and like go and go to the bathroom for the last two minutes of that game seriously like, I, can, I can sit there and watch that because I had two Liverpool defenders and I was like oh my god if this clean sheet comes through even my game, game week is saved <laughs> oh my god. it's terrible yeah. it when, uh, when you've got a striker through on goal and uh, I, 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 can, I can take that but I think, I think when you're going to lose a clean sheet I think it's just hard work absolutely okay let's take a break there and move on to the features who got the assist who got the assist Right, so we're back and we're going to go through our usual feature section now uh, that covers the market forces, the 30 ups. Uh, I was told by someone the other day that if we're going to call them the over 30s, they need to be 31 plus, which is semantically true. So we're going to call them the 30 up, the 30 up from now on, the 30 pluses. After that is a Nick pick versus the Tom pick, uh, the zombies and dad watch. We can keep, keep dad watch this week, Nick. Have you, have you prepared a uh, statement from... Uh... I, have, I have prepared a statement. There's been a move as well. Have you? Are you going to do it in your dad's idiom? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, let's uh, start with the market forces then. This is where we cast our eye over the movers and shakers in the transfer market and uh, figure out why that may be happening. Uh, Nick, the man across numbers, what are you seeing this week? So, yeah, going to whiz through this um, in a DeLorean because obviously we talked um, a lot about market forces already and we talked about a lot of these players already. But um, yeah, so Tammy Abraham's the, um, the most uh, transferred in player. Uh, this game week with um, over 231,000 transfers at this particular moment in time, you know, sort of back of sort of back to back braces. He's, he's sort of finally catching the eye of, of managers and has risen in price on the back of that. But we've, we've also got Daniel Daniel James, who we also mentioned, um, 6.1 million. Um, he's had over 200,000 transfers in as well. So a couple, of, um, a couple of championship players that are doing very well this season, had really good, um, really good starts. Um, so what do you think, Adam, uh, Abraham and James, uh, worth considering? Yes, yes to both, I think. Particularly Abraham. Um, I think he seems to have cemented that number nine spot. Um, personally, I'm going to wait until I think is it Wolves away and then um, Liverpool at home. So I'll wait until after that. I think. Uh, but yeah, I think both good options, both good prices, both both worth the risk. I think. Yeah, definitely, and um, I can see the Mount also is appearing in the top tr- uh, five transferred in players this game week with over a hundred thousand transfers in. Um, I know you're a big fan of his as well because you've already transferred him in. But we've also got um, De Bruyne and uh, Sergio Aguero sort of appearing in that top five transfers in. Obviously, De Bruyne, I think he he looks critical. He got 18 assists in uh, 2017, 18, 21 in 16, uh, 17. He's already got five to his name in, in four fixtures. So he looks like he could actually um, smash his record of 21 assists um, this season. Just looks like he's such a key creative asset for that Manchester City team. 
Did you know, Nick, that Mason Mount is actually the second most bought in player net overall? Uh, 1.2 million managers have bought him in. The top player, Nick, bought in by managers overall? I did know this. It's probably some stupid like Rashford or... No, oh, no, Pookie, Pookie. Yeah, yeah, his Pookie, yeah, indeed. Uh, Todd Cantwell is actually the third most bought in player as oh. well. So my cousin is uh, doing well in all, all <laughs> respects uh, at the moment. Uh, it's finishing from two yards. Yeah, no, we can't, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on elsewhere. So people being sold, uh, Marcus Rashford... Uh, who uh, 138,000 managers have seen enough and gotten rid of him, missed a penalty and was really poor on his own up top against Southampton. Um, and uh, also Anthony Martial uh, being given the goodbye, the au revoir um, by managers. 85,000 managers have sold him and completed the Man United trio. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka in, in danger of going all the way back down to 5.5 after rising high uh, to 5.6 and threatening to rise again to 5.7 not very long ago after eight-pointer in game week one. A couple of... Uh, uh, one and zero pointers followed by just appearance against Southampton have really uh, set him back, haven't they? I mean, we've got a question on United later, um, so I think we'll probably leave that for now and uh, move on to the the, other, the final two kind of fallers, Nick. Um, the Port's obviously injured, Adam. Um, so, yeah, no surprise really that owners um, are setting him. But also, also Timu Puki. I think now is a bit of a shock, really. That he's, you know, people already, they've seen enough. One blank, they're getting rid. Um sort of the fifth most transferred out uh, forward this this moment in time but it looks like perhaps it's sort of short-termism with um, the Manchester City fixture up next and Abraham bagging a brace people have seen enough and uh, and moving him on already what do you think Adam does that yeah, no, I think I think short termism is probably the the right point there. I think I think because there's loads of options in the six to seven and a half million strikers, it is easy to to transfer them in and out, but uh, I think if you bought Pookie in last week or or this week to sell him again just after one blank is a is a bit harsh because he'll he'll, he'll I, th- I think he'll be involved in everything Norwich do and uh, they're quite an attacking team so I just, yeah I think that'd be a bit mad to get rid of him that quickly. Okay, great. So yeah, quite a much was time. I think we'll probably see over the course of the IB that things kind of even out in the market forces. There'll be a bit of a lull and then kind of come Friday the 13th, there'll be a lot more kind of uh, interest. Um, but yeah, I think over IB is always a time that people say, oh, I'm going to wildcard to kind of play the rises and things like that. But those things don't really happen that much in IB. You're much better doing it when you did it, Adam, actually, in game week, uh, game week three. Uh, was it going to be free? Yeah. Uh, because yeah. That, that's when you get a lot of the activity throughout the course of the week. With IB, I think people do step away. So I think a lot of the prices are going to remain stable after tonight. So you have a couple, yeah, exactly. You have a couple of days, don't you? Then it dies off for a week and a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I think you'll probably be okay as long as you get your targets in now and avert your falls or whatever if you want to do that, if you've got a free transfer. But I think I'd genuinely, uh, I'd normally uh, recommend patience over this period. Cool. Okay, moving on to the over 30s. This is our team of players who are um, 30 plus, uh, who are playing their trade in the Premier League. A team we put together because Nick and I have both uh, hit that hill of 30. And Adam, it's safe to say you're also uh, over that particular hill too. Uh, So we thought we'd put a a bunch of these old farts together and see how well they can do. And uh, this week, they've done very, very well. Um, they've got 81 points, which puts us all to shame. Uh, Captain Conaguero, Jamie Vardy and Aubameyang, the front line, um, really bringing it home for them alongside old man David Silva with a 10-pointer. Elsewhere, things didn't go particularly well at the back. A, a crack squad of Lloris, Coleman, David Luiz and Johnny Evans uh, returned seven points between them. But yeah, all about that Conaguero, uh, Aubameyang and the uh, Jamie Vardy front line this week. Yeah, very, very good. They're uh, just outside the top million now. So close to overtaking a lot of active managers. My unspecified fan member is absolutely loving it at the moment. 
uh, on to the next bit, which is our weekly thing. We pick a couple of players according to our personalities. So Nick's pick is always a bit more conservative, small C, who's guaranteed to score you points. Uh, my pick is more kind of mad scientist uh, sort of thing. Last week, Nick, uh, you chose Kun Aguero, which is a very exciting pick for you. And uh, you got 16 points versus my Tom pick, Flick Hansen, and you got two. Uh, who's your pick this week, Nick? So I thought I'd um, stay on trend, having had the success with Aguero and, and uh, bang out another premium forward in Aubameyang. Um, obviously, um, so obviously, Adam talked about him a little bit earlier in the pod, but yeah, he's racking up those big chances uh, taken again this season for so far, except this time he's, he's netted three of them. He's got three goals in four games, a very decent start. And they're playing Watford, who just look extremely poor defensively, having sort of conceded eight goals so far, right down at the bottom of the league, a little bit shot for confidence. So you'd like to see, um, you'd like to expect Aubameyang to exploit that um, weak-looking Watford side and, and get some attacking returns, especially in this sort of new um, trio of Pepe, Lacquer and Aubameyang that looks, um, looks very potent right now. Yeah, the Powell front line, that one. Um, okay, and my Tom pick this week is Riyad Mahrez against Norwich, and the sort of scene that he used to eat for breakfast when he was at Leicester. Um, obviously, um, seems to be fighting Bilver off a little bit in terms of his place. Um, 19 points so far this season uh, from three assists. Uh, I think that that Norwich team, uh, if he can get that place, it is the sort of team he's going to be able to exploit, especially that kind of dodgy defence. Obviously, never buy him in for your FPL team, but on, on a one-week pit basis, I'm by 3.2%. I think that he could be a, a very interesting one, especially if you're kind of looking for, I don't know, a, a one-week pump before you wildcard in game week five for some reason, if that's your plan. Cool. Okay. Uh, the zombies then. Uh, big shout out once more to Alex Solomon, who again has uh, combed through hundreds and hundreds of zombies and sent me a big long list of names to get rid of. Um, I now have to scroll about seven or eight times to get to the bottom of the amount of people that I've suspended from the league. Anyway, uh, how are you doing uh, in terms of the zombies, Nick? Uh, how did your team get on this week? Yeah, so they scored 55 points. It was pretty, uh, pretty average week for them. So sort of Ryan Fraser finally came and uh, returned an assist and... Uh, Andrew Robertson finally got that clean sheet that he's been waiting for all season. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty uh, boring week for the Zombies. Salah captain getting 12 and the KDB getting 13. And yeah, zero points from Matt Ryan in goal. Pretty average week all in all. The zombies are doing okay. It's all very much like my main team. They're doing okay. But um, yeah, not nothing, uh, nothing exciting to talk about, I'm afraid. Yep, same here. It's only the Laporte injury, which is of interest, because that means I've got Lise Mousset coming off the bench for the near future, maybe for the rest of the season, which is absolutely great news for my zombies. Not really. Um, but Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Mo Salah uh, meant that they scored over 50 this week. Uh, Salah, the captain for the season. Um, I'm not going to do a zombie league update this week, just because it's still updating. And uh, yeah, I, I'd probably read out somebody who um, has taken a hit or broken the rules or something. So I prefer not to do that. We'll do that next time. Cool. Okay. And the final thing is this week's installment of Dad Watch, Nick. What's been going on? What's he been doing? So, um, yeah, obviously, so we've got sort of a new feature, which is Dad Watch. Um, my dad's giving FPL uh, a go for the first time, really, this season and uh, and has had some ridiculous, unparalleled uh, success in the uh, first couple of game weeks. I think he's been um, reading the uh, the Sports Almanac uh, for the nineteen twenty season and uh, and just uh, picking all the right players before any of us got them in, um, like sort of Sadio Mane in game week two, for instance, doing particularly well. But I think um, the, in- the initial glamour of that fast start, the initial power of love that sort of consumed him, sort of, just dwindling away, and he's he's now starting to experience the true highs and lows of sort of EPL life. And uh, yeah, he, he had a red arrow again this week. He's down to about 100k, 
and overall ranks. He was 3K in game week two, but now he's very much in the mix with the rest of us all, you know, suffering heavily. And uh, so he got 51 points, mainly from sort of likes of TAA, Mane and uh, KDB. But um, he's made a transfer already, actually, Tom. He's, he's texted me. He said he's acted, acted recklessly. He's got rid of De Gea. <laughs> he's fed up with De Gea in goal. <laughs> and he's brought in Edison. So he's, he's got an early goalkeeper switch. Yeah. So it's hold off for now. It's two weeks. He's got the international break. He's like, no, I just want to get rid. And so he's, uh, he's done his transfer already. Oh, my. I'd imagine he'd be wearing a bulletproof vest, thanks to you. But no, it appears that he's susceptible to madness like the rest of us. Always, uh, yeah, a goalkeeper switch on a Sunday night uh, with uh, two weeks to go. Well, that's the uh, ultimate breaking the uh, breaking the Austin rule. I kind of, uh, I never want to wish an injury on any player. But um, <laughs> if Edison does uh, succumb to uh, a short-term non-fatal knee knack or something over, over international duty in Brazil, I think it would uh, be an interesting lesson for your dad. And you can teach him all about the Charlie Austin rule, mate. Okay, great. Uh, let's take a break there and move on to the questions, which we have a lot of today. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh, time to catch up with you. Who got the assist mini league? If you haven't joined the league, the code is EIKX03. And uh, yeah, it's starting to um, build a little bit of a head of steam. Is um, Sydney Sydney with Mirrors um, getting 62 points. He's played his world card. He's now up to overall rank 103, which is... Uh, Fantastic, um, doing very well. Um, a few other people up there, though, the Chasing Pack, all doing very well. And Askeladi Gunner got 73 points this week. Hugo Chukwu Mumanta with Demolition Squads got 92 points as well, having played his wild card. That was just a brilliant score for him. He captained Aguero, did very well there. Uh, Lydia Clements uh, with Tricky Trippy FC. Uh, ben Gogo's Benny FC and Carlton Palmer with the Rico Reserves, um, having played the free hit this week, um, rounding up the top six. I also saw the um, Guy Guy, uh, Vinaldum Leviosa, sort of like a leaderboard staple of last season's doing very well now as well. He's uh, in 17th in the league, overall rank um, 5K at the moment. He uh, finished 128th last season. So, so well done, Guy. Looks like he's having another storm of a season. Right, also, um, we're also on Laugh Sport um, every week at the moment. Um, I was on this week with Johnny Burrows and Ewan Thomas. Um, if you're interested in checking us out, we're on every Friday at 6.15. So if you've got any questions as well, we can answer them on the radio. And uh, yeah, give us a listen and some support. That'd be brilliant. Thanks. Yeah, and just to mention as well that we were in Afton Posten this week in Norway. We're giving some uh, FPL tips, just some wide-ranging questions. I think we also featured with Brandon uh, as well uh, from Always Shooting. So yeah, um, very cool. If you are in Norway, you can read Norwegian uh, and you do want to see what I had to say, which is probably very similar to what I've had to say on this podcast, uh, do have a look. It looks like we'll be uh, answering questions from them a little bit over the course of the season as well. So yeah, very cool to see the WTA is going global. Right, okay, let's move on to the questions then. Lows this week. Uh, so the first one I think this week is um, on the derailed bandwagons and the headaches that come from them uh, so James Harding uh, who we met actually Nick at the uh, WGCA summer meetup said uh, uh, the failed United early season bandwagon for Man United what was that about was it a symptom of premature moves with not enough data or uh, something else like how would how do we explain that looking back at that what's the post-mortem there especially with all of them being sold now in the market forces Adam did you have re Man United players at one point sorry I didn't mean to dig you out there but <laughs> I saw uh, the grimace on your face <laughs> yeah I'll say but bad luck, bad timing, bad decision on my my front. I think, I think of the three, I think Rashford's actually been unlucky. I think, um, I think he should have scored last weekend. He definitely should have scored this weekend. Um, 
And I think he's, he's yeah, I think he's been a bit unlucky. I think obviously Martial got injured. I think he would have been a been a solid option otherwise, uh, particularly playing as number nine. And yeah, Wambasaka was a was a strange one. I think I watched the first couple of United games and they didn't really look like, particularly against Wolves, they didn't look like conceding. So I thought it was an opportunity to get a five and a half million player and get you know, quite a few eight, nine pointers, but it hasn't worked out that way. So, but I think it was a bad for me, um, a wild card in and bought three United in. So I think for me, I should have been more patient. It was a bad decision and I'm just still trying to, trying to sort out that problem, unfortunately. Do you think you, um, you went too early in retrospect again? Yeah, hundred percent. No, hundred percent I did. And um, I was thinking about this earlier and I know a lot of people will be stubborn and say I didn't make. I definitely made a mistake with it, and I know the exact moment I made the mistake. It's when Martial scored versus Wolves, and I think just before that, Rashford had put a ball in that Martial had just missed. I thought because my my plans were to get KDB in and I'd be without United, and I thought they got a great fixture run. I need United. It's a chance to get ahead of the curve, and I think if if um, that Palace game would have gone differently and it quite easily could have done, um, we'd be probably sat here having a different conversation. But in in hindsight, I didn't need to wildcard. It was, um, yeah, it's bit me big time. It's probably cost me 40, maybe 50 points. So I'm going to have to try and come back from that. And I think I've had situations in seasons before where I've made, quite a bad decision um, that I've regretted but usually I'm in a quite a decent position so it's not him impacting me as badly but yeah it's been an absolute disaster um, but do you know what I, it makes it a little bit more fun coming back from it so um, yeah we'll see well I am the master of making terrible decisions <laughs> in the public eye Adam so I feel you completely I, I think it's as you as I said I've said many times I think you are just kind of the the sort of player who is going to come back. It was a, it was a bit. Un, I guess it was unfortunate to some extent to just kind of link into James's question as well that United did look kind of deceptively so good, didn't they? And I was you know, thoroughly bricking myself um, about not owning Martial or Rashford for that Crystal Palace game. And, and to be honest, I was as surprised as anybody that that turned out that way. I don't think. I think you'd have got very very long odds on, on Crystal Palace winning that one. And I think you've gotten very, very long odds on Rashford uh, not scoring that penalty. Like at the moment, actually, he's actually top for XG for all strikers, but that includes the penalty if you take him out, take mm-hmm. out the and just make it open play, then his XG is actually not that remarkable. Uh, I think it's 1.13, which is the same as Trossard's, for example, or Harry Kane, England's number 10. Um, so to some extent, I think, that, I think that going early all-in may have been a bit linked to last year when obviously Ollie came in there was that amazing kind of initial bubble and I think everyone kind of felt that again and kind of was worried mm. that they'd be missing out I was really scared I did go for KDB and didn't make the wild card to, to get Martial in etc etc but yeah no I think it'd be really interesting to see how you come back from that because I, I think whenever I've made a mistake in the past I've made it from the position of trying to catch up Whereas, as you said, you in the past have made a decision from a position of strength almost. So, yeah, yeah. Interesting dynamic to see how a better player than me um, will try to get that back. But I'm, I'm completely sure you will. And I'm sure if we uh, keep out of you over the course of the season, we'll find <laughs> you've got a ridiculously good rank again somehow. Don't, don't forget, for example, James Eggersdorf in the past sold Harry Kane famously before that run of hat tricks, but still managed to finish 5K. So, absolutely yeah. terrible. 
I mean, he was down in the doldrums, wasn't he? And then came all the way back up. So absolutely doable. I'm, I'm sure that um, you'll have no problems doing that. Because there'll be another opportunity in the future. Like the, there is the importance to have a good start, which is why these sort of fell bandwagons maybe materialise. And there are so, so many few points behind in, that make a difference between each ranking point, don't they? So a couple of good game weeks, you can jump up the rankings quite quickly at this stage. Cool. Uh, bring in Nick here, what do you reckon? I mean, yeah, I think definitely agree with what you said. It's it's still very early on. There's plenty of plenty of time to to catch up, Adam. But um, with with Manchester United, great great Scott after that dismantling of Chelsea, there was so much excitement. They were, oh, they're going to turn the page, you know. And obviously, everyone was like, oh, you know, it's been five years of being in the doldrums since Fergie left, but United are back with a fresh, you know, exciting new team. And everyone was like excited about Maguire and AWB and obviously likes Daniel James as well. But it, it does seem like perhaps that was everyone's opinions. You know, we're just basing it off one game or, or two games and they, they, they do feel like they have reverted a little bit to form. But, you know, as you said, it is fine margins. If Anthony Martial hadn't picked up that injury, if, if Marcus Rashford had converted that penalty, if they hadn't conceded that late goal, um, against Southampton, we'd be definitely having sort of different conversations here. So um, I, I still think, obviously, we, we said, we talked about United actually on the last pod, and we said that they're not a Liverpool, they're not a Manchester City, but, you know, their players are priced as such. They're all around the sort of the seven, eight million mark. You can, they're certainly affordable and, and they're worth covering, but I would perhaps would say, you know, stick to a six, six to one player at this moment in time, maybe. And, uh, you know, the defence, I, I do feel, I did feel like, with AWP being bought, with Maguire being bought, that they were going to be a much stronger, better unit this year. But it does seem like the likes of Lindelof still is kind of making mistakes and they they, they don't seem 100% the true United. And, and maybe that will come in, in time, but it just doesn't look like it's happening quite yet. Yeah, I mean, they are second uh, from bottom in terms of uh, ASGC from open play. So there definitely has been a tightening of that defence, I'd imagine, from those signings. It's just, as we said last week, the, the case that the fixtures ha- and form have to align for bringing them in. And uh, at the moment, I'd probably be keeping hold of a Martial if you've still got him or keeping hold of a, maybe, a, maybe a Rashford. But there are just so many options out there that you've got to be unsure about. I, all it would take is a 2-0 victory over Leicester, a brace for a Rashford or something like that, and the whole thing changes again. But... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I, I feel you, Adam, and I think that's a very good question, James. So thank you. Right, the next question actually is in the same sort of region, uh, same sort of territory, um, template stability. So quite a few people were asking about wielding their wild cards over this international break. Uh, Nick, I know you were inches from pressing the button. Saar says that the twin plate is looking quite nailed on. Uh, is probably the key question here. The standard setup of one of Mo and Mane slash Sterling KDB. The fact is that these players all seem to be so hygiene at the moment. Do you think the kind of uh, the premiums are here to stay, especially with those three? Start with um, Sterling. So Sterling's risen 0.3 million in price. Um, he looks like a key asset for our teams this year, doesn't he? Even though um, obviously he didn't score at the weekend or get an assist, which was very painful for us captainers. But I think he's definitely one of those players that looks like he, he's going to be one to to own all season and perhaps sort of continue to auto-captain despite the blank. Yeah, I just think with him, he, he's basically... OK, a lot of people did do very well if they bought Kun Aguero in this week, captained him and had the flexibility or the wild card to do that. But for those who don't, then it kind of is not a discussion of, of how you're going to, I guess, shape your team around them and, and make that work. Like, 
I'm not too sure whether I see that trend particularly finishing anytime soon that those three players that I mentioned, those two big midfielders plus KDB are going to be kind of the cornerstone of our team. Do you see that changing? Or- I think with KDB and um, Sterling, they've got great fixtures for the medium run at least. And Liverpool's fixtures turn quite, I think after they play Newcastle, they go on quite a tough run to the extent there probably aren't any that you would look at and think, I would captain Salah or Mane. And that's the point, um, because I've, I've got Mane at the moment. I was tempted to do a swapping back to Salah, but the reason I'm not going to do it is that I may even ditch Mane after, um, you know, in the, in the, in the near future, because they're playing a lot of the top six and they tend to struggle in those type of matches. If you look at Arsenal's fixtures and even Spurs, they're a lot more friendly. And I think, watch Son today. I was very impressed with Son. I thought he looked very good and uh, looked like Spurs' probably main attacking threat, considering he hasn't had loads of football as well. And I think the other, the other player, and this is really dependent on where he plays, but could be a great captain option to Bamiang, because the second he goes through the middle, his movement's brilliant. I think... The fixtures are going quite nicely for um, for, for Arsenal, I think, after from this game week onwards. So, I, I actually say so with Sterling, yeah, he's not going anywhere. Um, I'm actually, I think his blank could be a blessing in disguise for me because I think a lot of people are captain Liverpool assets versus um, Newcastle. Whereas, I, I think Sterling away, I think Sterling v Norwich, you're not going to get a better fixture, probably even better away from home because. I'll probably try and get something. So for me, um, Sterling's going nowhere. KDB's going nowhere. But I may get rid of Mane at some point to, to fund other assets with better fixtures who are my captain, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think for me, um, it, it comes down to a case of Liverpool and Manchester City players are, are, remain must-owns and I think they're going to be must-owns over the entire course of the season regardless of fixture. I think uh, when it comes to Liverpool and Manchester City, it's just in terms of who you actually own. I think Mane is a really good pick and he can cover Salah, but what managers shouldn't do, as what I always say, is it sort of flits between the two of them and say, right, mm-hmm. well, Salah scored this week, so I'm going to take out Mane and bring in Salah, or Mane scores, so I'm going to take out Salah and bring in Mane because that's just... A non-viable solution and that's the same for Manchester City as well whilst you can sort of have KDB and Sterling or KDB and Aguero yeah, you shouldn't say okay Aguero did really well this week so and Sterling did nothing so I'm going to shift my whole team around to fit Aguero in and, and take out Sterling because it can easily be the other way around the following game week and I think obviously Aguero is a really good option but we all have Sterling at the moment so um, you know there's no point changing things around and unless you're wild carding and, and fancying a bit of a gamble to try and catch up with people there's no point changing things around and, and to stick with the uh, the city and liverpool players you've got but i just feel like those two clubs are miles ahead of all the other premier league clubs it pains me to say it but there's not really a top six anymore it's, it's a top two you know as we see we saw man united struggle heavily um this week we saw chelsea were unable to beat sheffield united Spurs have had a really poor start as well and you know they couldn't beat Newcastle last week so these teams continue to struggle but um, I think your point on the Bamiyang I guess is, is actually is a still a very good one I think he, he's perhaps a player that's sort of flying under the radar a little bit to be honest especially with the Arsenal fixtures 
So Arsenal have Watford, Villa, United, Bournemouth, Sheffield United, Crystal Palace. Five out of six are, you know, are games where you, you'd say that Aubameyang could take take his chances and score. So if you're willing to sort of take the gamble and ignore, you know, perhaps a Liverpool player and go for Aubameyang, then yeah, it's possibly going to pay off. I like the Aubameyang point because I think where there isn't a template which is created, like there's always that opportunity to bust it. And with Hazard leaving the game um, over the summer, we've pretty much been a premium down haven't we which has kind of corralled us into looking at these kind of Salah, Sterling and KDB as kind of the the sub-premium sort of thing being that sort of hygiene factor that everyone sort of owns like it's sort of thing where if they score a goal you're not really celebrating just because like everyone owns them so what? You mentioned a great word there opportunity I'm reluctant I, I made mistakes from a wild card in terms of when I played it but I think almost like when you play in chess, I don't want to take a backwards move. I, I possibly will for Trent. I think with the Liverpool situation, I think captaincy pick is critical. And when I look at the next 10 fixtures or so, up and pro- I think it's game week 13 or 14 when, they, when Brighton and Palace come into play for Liverpool. Up until that point, I think their best fixture is Leicester at home. And Leicester at home isn't necessarily... They gave, they struggled against Leicester. Did they draw against them last season? They did, yeah, when the they were champ- trying to get the champ- Yeah, and the Champions League is going to be coming into play as well. Because mm. we haven't had that yet. And I think when teams play in the Champions League in the week and the results after... It, you know, they, they can slow the game down a little bit or try not to exert as much energy. So... I'm I'm happy to look outside of Liverpool attacking options. Obviously, if Salah gets a hat this weekend, maybe that'll change my opinion. I think um, you've also probably game week seven where they play Sheffield United and Manchester City that week have Everton and Arsenal have Man United. Perhaps um, is another week where you'll see a lot of sort of Salah captaincies. I can see where you're coming from with with that. I think it just remains to see what happens with the with the Champions League and, and what happens in terms of the players used. I don't like the fact with Aubameyang that he is on the left a lot of the time and he's a lot better yeah. when Lacquer gets withdrawn than he's in the middle. Like I'm hoping that he and Shabelos will will both work together very very well in that regard. But yeah, no, I think it's, it's one to watch. But I think for the premiums, then it, it sounds like we're kind of uncomfortably comfortable almost in this sort of. Try a tripoli. Well, is that, is that right? Oh, in this triad, talking about the Libyans again, Tom. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's like tripoli triad of uh, Salah, KDB, and and Sterling. But I think that will maybe I think that will change in the future, and that may be the time actually when I get my wild card out. Cool. All right, and a, a few que- uh, player questions then. FPL Prince, Connor M, and Stag actually asked a classic Stag question, uh, which is that can we rank from top to bottom uh, these midfielders from 5.6 to 7.1? Probably go through them here. Starting point is Mason Mount. Um, who, Adam, I think you used your transfer this week to bring him in. He passed the eye test. I think the game where I really liked him is when he came on against Liverpool in the Super Cup. He had like two or three shots straight away. His numbers were good in terms of shot volume in particular. And I think what's been quite telling, I think he's played 90 minutes in every Premier League game. So from a motivation point of view, breaking into the England squad, he's Lampard's boy. I think he will get given preferential treatment. His price, when I'm comparing him to the other options, I think he's the best option available, um, below six and a half million. If he loses his place, then there's loads of options to move him to. Very close to putting him in instead of Martial, but I thought Martial was probably the sensible move in my wild card. So I'm a big fan of Mount. I'm happy with him at his price. It's probably going to be a choice between Mount and Abraham in terms of my own team setup 
for game week seven going onwards. I mean, there's obviously a few others out there at the moment. I don't have any players actually in this price bracket in my team at the moment, but I do have sort of Todd Campwell that's started very well for, for Norwich, but I think um, probably worried about having a sort of two prongs Norwich attack now. But um, there's also Daniel James, who's, who's risen in price by 0.1 now. Your man McGinn, um, Adam, he uh, seems to be a really key um, attacking um, output, and Dean Smith has said as much. So I think with McGinn, when you look at the price difference to get Mason Mount, for me it's a no-brainer to go with Mount. I just he's um he's a very he's a great footballer to watch, but he has a lot of shots from outside the box. I think his shots the last couple of games have tied down. He gets a lot of yellow cards. A lot. Of, I mean, as a player, he's brilliant to watch for Villa. One of my favourite players, all action. As an FPL asset, I think when you've got the likes of Mount. And then potentially players like Awobi, who looked very good today, I thought. I think there's better options, personally. So I'm not going with McGinn. I'm trying to stay away from Villa players as well. I've started to dislike watching them, wanting them to do well, and it adds the extra pressure when I own them myself. I personally think Mount is the, the strongest option at the moment in this bracket. It's a little bit like the forwards, the cheap forwards, that there's lots of kind of horses in that particular steeplechase, but it's not quite clear at the moment who the one is. It looks like the market sentiment is Mason Mount, but whether it's going to stay that way, I, I'm not too sure yet. Like You've still got the likes of Shea Bellos, who obviously didn't start today, but yeah. looked so good when he came on. Like Surely Emery has seen the light there. The one that I just want to mention quickly is uh, Jeremy Clarkson's mate, uh, James Madison. Uh, 7.1, mm-hmm. so a little bit out of the kind of the price bracket we're talking about, but at the top end of stags, it sounds like we're all kind of thinking, well, Mount's probably number one. I quite like Chabellos, actually, but I appreciate mm-hmm. what you said, Adam, about not like it, not having your own team in your in your FPL team because it does make things a bit a bit difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I think Madison's one to bear in mind. I mean, obviously the next few aren't that great. Uh, Man United, Tottenham, Newcastle and Liverpool. So maybe not for this block of four fixtures, but after that international break, I will be really considering him uh, because between game weeks 9 and 17, they only play Arsenal from the top six. Um, and that kind of run of games also takes in a home game against Norwich, um, as well as an away game against Brighton, the away game against Southampton. So very good. The guy who created, uh, I think it was 99 chances last season, and with Jamie, Jamie Vardy in superb form, I, I think that that could definitely uh, lead to points around that sort of area. Yeah, it's, it sounds like uh, if we are to kind of quickly answer Stag's question and just kind of round off this little bit, that Mount maybe is the top. And then apart from that, we're, we're not really too sure, are we? Which is probably fine. We've got a few questions about mid-price forwards. Um, so Kiwi Nick, uh, Sagar Peleha and FPL Flapjack asked about these guys. The biggest riser is Timu Puki. Obviously, we've been deliberately avoiding looking at stats, but we have kind of kept an eye on the fact that he is at the moment top for shots on target. I think he's got three more than the nearest competitor, Ashley Barnes. Um, he was knocked off the top of the strikers perch for shots overall this week, actually. I think it's Firmino, Rashford and Barnes are ahead of him now. Mm-hmm. And his open play XGI is actually lower than Campwell's, um, which is quite interesting, 1.51. Uh, that's probably due to Campwell's absolutely astounding miss against the West Ham. Absolutely astounding. I don't know how he missed that. I think it was two yards out or something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, Puki is somewhere off the leader, um, Raheem Sterling for XG, uh, for open play XG that is. And he's actually similar to Danny Ings last year, um, who at this time had an open play XG of 1.55. So yeah, quite an interesting one to start with, guys. Um, so Timu Puki, do we think that the stats show that he's going to be able to keep it up? Big fan of him. I think him as a player... I've got a lot of confidence in. His movement's exceptional. Um, he's quite accurate with his finishing. Um, 
I think he, what I also like is he plays the majority of games, very rarely injured. Um, he had an incredible record at Norwich last season, but he gets goals and assists. And I think at the moment, I think he's got 100% goal involvement. Um, he's been involved in every single goal Norwich has scored. I think it's dependent on how Norwich do rather than how he does. And I think there's probably signs against West Ham that Norwich... Uh, you know, starting to, to, to find their level. Um, that said, I think over the season, he'll be their talisman. He will be the, the, the you know, and I think for, for the money, he's a good investment. I think you keep him over the season. He's got a decent chance of scoring most game weeks. And I think for, what is he, 7 million now? You're not going to find many better attacking players. He won't lose his place as well. So I think, I think he's quite a safe investment. He's not going to score um, five goals every four games or whatever he's, whatever he's got. But I think he's a really, really good bet um, for the long term, personally. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think especially at that sort of price point, he's, he's definitely one that we should keep in our teams for now and not, and not be worried about just one blank. Of course, I think this was, this was the first game week I actually brought uh, Pookie in and it seems that as soon as I've signed up and tried to join this party, it's, it's swiftly ended and everyone's oh. headed down the road to Jamie Vardy's uh, Enchantment Under the Sea dance party. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've missed out, but I mean, I think the signs obviously are positive there with, with Pookie that he's going to have a very good season for Norwich, obviously. We know that he scored 28 goals in the championship last season. He's in the, the form of his life. And, uh, um, yeah, I'd like to see say that there's going to be plenty of goals ahead. Um, obviously, got Manchester City up next as well, which is a tough game. Though I did um, notice one stat that sort of caught my eye when I was looking at the numbers so far, and it was sort of 78.6% shot accuracy, which um, I think is going to be a little bit unsustainable to, to maintain that sort of level of accuracy over the course of the season. Though, of course, the signs are positive that he, he's... Um, you know, a lot of his efforts are on target. That when he gets those chances, he, he's taking them. Um, but yeah, it does does feel like there's a lot of um, championship players that have sort of made the uh, to step up with these this year, actually. And uh, you've got the likes of uh, Mason Mount and Daniel James in midfield, and uh, Puki and also also Tammy Abraham. Tom. Yeah, exactly. So there are quite a few, aren't there? I mean, I think just just to round off on Puki, so there's no point in staying on him for too long, purely because he's owned by 38.8% now. I think if most people, if people were going to buy him, they'd have bought him by now, effectively. And anything that he does is basically a rank killer for people who don't own him at the moment. So I, I think that kind of pushes our interest and pushes our kind of area of investigation away from Puki into the other sort of mid-price forwards. Tammy Abraham, um, he's up 0.2 now. Um, there's also Ashley Barnes and uh, Seb Haller. Um, the helicopter took off this week. <laughs> and the uh, key fallers in that area as well are uh, Chris Wood, um, 6.3 now. Obviously, he scored a very unfortunate own goal, um, which my zombies took. Suness's n- new uh, figure of hatred, uh, Moise Keane. And uh, Callum Wilson, he's dropped 0.2 as well, despite having a points per game of 5.0, which overall, over the course of the season, would mean he's, he's on to score 190 points. Um, in this sort of bracket, guys, I mean, outside of the pooky sort of option, who are you eyeing up? Because I've only got the sort of one-man strike force at the moment. I, I was kind of of the opinion uh, in the pre-season that sort of the strikers were going to be another dead asset. That was sort of the, the trend of last year, big at the back, the forward line is dead, that sort of thing. But I feel like, as I said on the pod last week, that the forward line is striking back there. There's so many options now, and they're all relatively reasonably priced as well. Apart from Aguero, you're looking at players all around sort of six or seven million. 
mark in terms of options in the, in the second and third striker. I think um, the one that I'm probably eyeing up the most is perhaps um, Tammy Abraham from that bracket. At the start of the season, obviously, we didn't really know who was going to start for Chelsea in terms of the forwards. There was sort of competition between um, Abraham and Giroud and maybe even Michi uh, Batshuayi um, also priced at seven million, you know, FP, official FPL obviously didn't know because they were all hedging their bets with the uh, the seven million price bracket for full free. But it looks like after sort of successive braces that, that Abraham has that sort of uh, number nine jersey and it's his place to lose. And uh, you know, a player of that sort of price playing for a top top side like Chelsea, I think um, definitely has to be sort of high up there in terms of my radar. Especially now he's got four goals, he's prolific in the championship. Um, it didn't work out quite for him last time he was in the Premier League for Swansea, but that was two years ago. He's really coming to his own in terms of um, professional um, athlete in the Premier League. And I think he's um, he's certainly one that's on my radar that could fit in very nicely to our FPL teams, especially when um, Chelsea's fixtures uh, turn come game week seven when they've got like a really nice uh, run of fixtures. Yeah, that's the one. I think I'll be watching him from game week seven just because he scored two braces yet, but they were both against promoted championship teams. And we know he can do it in the championship and he's played two championship teams recently. So um, I, I want to see a little bit more. Like, they've got Wolves and uh, Liverpool the next two before that nice run of fits from game week seven. And I think that I'll be keeping an eye on him throughout that sort of period. Like, the stats are okay. He's, for example, taken nine shots in the box, which puts him outside of the top five, basically, for strikers. He does play kind of 60, 70 minutes and appears, as you said, to have that number nine jersey so I can see why you're interested I just think the time to leap on would have been a little bit earlier and I unfortunately I can't get into a time machine and go back so uh, I think I'm probably going to leave that one now Adam what do you think about him and uh, anyone else you've got your eye on yeah well Tammy Abraham firstly as a Villa fan really pleased that he's, he's doing well and getting his chance and I think a lot of Villa fans would echo that he's a natural goal scorer and I think now with strikers in particular we, we, we tend to see the you know, maybe not as many natural goal scorers, but players that have got a bit more of an all-round game. But I think he's got good movement. Um, so I'm delighted that he's doing well. I'd echo what you're saying. I'm watching him probably from after that Liverpool game. I just want to see him consistently be starting and, and, and scoring. My my favourites in that bracket are um, Haller, definitely. Um, I was very close to bringing him in yesterday, but I thought with Rashford being number nine away at Southampton and he probably should have scored, I thought I'd hold off. But Haller's been, he's looked brilliant the last couple of matches. He's up there, I think he's had nine shots in the box, in, including the Man City, but that's that that's pretty impressive. He's three goals already, but he's so involved. He should have won a penalty yesterday. Possibly should have got booked as well, but... I think the, the, he will get loads of opportunities based on the fact that um, he's got Lanzini, Anderson, so much creativity in that West Ham team. I think he'll get a lot of chances to finish off. So I think he's a, he's a good price at 7.4, 7.5 million. So good fixtures for the fairly long term. I'll almost certainly be, be looking at him. I think one player who was, um, I, th- I think the Burnley guys are interesting as well. But I think there's one player that's maybe gone under the radar a little bit is Raul Jimenez. I watched the game today and I think, the, the, obviously, the Wolves, are, Wolves have been in Europe. But I think he's the main man. And I think one, there was one really telling thing. When he went down with a head injury, they didn't take him off. And that, to me, goes to show that he's more important than uh, Yotta. He is the main man there. I mean, he's got two goals in two in the Premier League. But... 
if you actually look at his record over in Europe, I think he's somebody who's already adapted. So he's somebody, and I think we were probably put off at his price at the start of the season, weren't we? But um, so he's a player that that I'm also keep our eye on, put on the Burnley players. I think Barnes is still in the show at the moment, but if you look at the last couple of seasons, they've done pretty similar. And Chris Wood's always tend to be better on bonus. So Chris Wood could make a comeback. I think it's good that he's dropped a couple. Of, so I wouldn't write him off completely yet either. No, absolutely. I don't think we'd write off anyone uh, really. Yeah, no, they, no, all have, they all have the quality to come back, don't they? But you know, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I, mean, I did look at Chris Wood, but it's it's got to be Ashley Barnes for me at the moment. Um, the guy who seems to be in the absolute form of his life, an absolute shout obviously, but um, <laughs> n- nonetheless, in the form of his life. If you look at, and this is happening as well at the end of last season. Like, if you look at a lot of the data, like you just get one unfashionable name that keeps cropping up whenever you sort everything <laughs> by highest lowest, which is Ashley Barnes. And um, he's one of those players that I've always wanted to own, but never quite gotten around to owning which is obviously a bit of a strange one it's like scratching an itch but Burnley's next four are actually very good uh, they've got Brighton who are no longer the uh, solid defensive outfit they are an expansive attacking team I think that they got a 45% possession or something against Man City which is a, a pretty impressive yeah. actually they got uh, Norwich at home in game week six which is the plum fixture I think of, of any club so whenever that happens I think I want to have an attacking player if I can obviously maybe not Crystal Palace in game week seven but you know what I mean um, and they've got Villa um, obviously an easy game Adam and uh, Everton at home in game week eight so that's a nice block of four fixtures and I, I think Ashley Barnes may be uh, well placed to keep going with that I mean I think the Liverpool game is a bit of a freebie and um, I was really annoyed that he rose on Friday night it, it kind of curtailed a bit of my flexibility but nonetheless like yeah I, I think Ashley Barnes is worth a, a little spin I think for the next few Burnley only play Chelsea of the top six in game week 10 and don't play any of the top six uh, apart from that until game week 15 when they play Man City's and I guess while you're here we've, we've got to mention Wesley as well and um, just because he's, he's a non-mover obviously and um, but he could offer something very very good in that cheap bracket and you you did say to me um, on, on a DM <laughs> chat that we're in I don't know whether you, you were drunk on Villa love at that point but uh, he, that you'd imagine that he could get 10 goals and 10 assists this season so he's got yeah. one of those goals and none of those assists so far but you guys yeah, do yeah. have a good run don't you um, we do, we do. With 10, so you know, there could be some scope there and I noticed that Mark Southern for example has brought him in so 6.0 what do you think about Wesley I think he's well priced he'll play he'll start every game um, I think my concern on Villa is the number of goals they're going to score um, particularly away from home but he will probably be involved in the majority because I think what the, the plan is is to get the likes of McGinn and Grealish to play off him um, and that's very much the style in the 4-3-3 that we set up with so he could I mean he's very kindly priced and I think he'll be the sort of player that if he scores he'll be very likely to get bonus as I think he got three in, uh, against Everton got fairly good movement brings other players into play so I'm looking forward to the next game against West Ham because I think that's the sort of game he'll, he'll do well in I definitely think Wesley's one to watch, especially slightly cheaper as well, which makes him fit a little bit more easily into our teams, only being six million. So um, I think he's he's definitely one that has to remain on the radar and could do could do very well um, over the seasons. I think we all kind of agree that there's there's a lot of options out there in, in that forward line that we think are going to continue to do well. The likes of Puki, obviously and Ashley Barnes, and, and there's a few that perhaps um, it's kind of a little bit of a wait and see and, and see how they continue to perform and have perhaps put 
put Wesley in that bracket, along with maybe um, maybe Tammy Abraham and you know like some Neil Mopay as well, Bryson perhaps as well. But mm-hmm. I think it is uh, definitely sort of sign of the times that the forwards are doing better and the defenders. There's not really too many teams out there that look like they're going to keep clean sheets. So there's there's no real games that like really tough games for those forward lines and. Uh, especially with the likes of Chelsea and Spurs and Arsenal. And defences just look absolutely terrible. Well, we've absolutely gone to town on that answer there, guys. Well, uh, good value for money uh, for Flapjack, uh, Nick and Sagar there. I suppose we'll leave it in just because it's international break. Why not? Uh, but let's move on to the next question. One that I think Nick is very interested in here. And uh, Adam, this might be of interest to you as well as a non-TAA owner these days. Um, TAA or Hydeen? Luca Dean, of course. Um, overthinker says get TAA or Luca Dean in and wants to know which looks the best value to us. Uh, well, it's a classic WGTA question and uh, one that Nick is well placed to answer, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. I mean, for me, I've, I've said it quite a few times on the pods previous, but uh, TAA and Luca Dean, I, I consider both must-owns. So to, to kind of say which one is the must-own of the must-owns, I, I, I would actually go for Trent Alexander-Arnold over Luca Dean. I think just because... Obviously, TA is one million more, but just, there's much more chance of a clean sheet um, for Liverpool compared to um, Everton. And also, I, I looked at sort of the, the stats, and so far this season, there's not much to work off, obviously, but TA is outperforming Dean in terms of the chances created with 14 compared to nine, so a little bit more. But obviously, last year, if you remember, that Luca Dean had far more chances created and big chances created than TAA and Luca Dean was the top by a country mile. However, I did actually look and say what, what's happening with those chances he was creating and uh, TAA ended up with triple the assist that Luca Dean had over the course of the season. So the fact was that even though Luca Dean was creating more chances, he didn't actually have as much end product and that's because whilst TAA gets to work with the likes of Salah and Mane, Dean was working with the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin who couldn't <laughs> score the toffee. So, uh, for the toffees, so I think um, I think that was the uh, the problem for uh, for Luca Dean. Even though he's such a creative and exciting outlook, if you're working with inferior players, you're not going to get as many attacking returns and as many clean sheets. And whether Moise Keane will change things remains to be seen. But I think that TAA is is for me the uh, the keen one, the, the best value out of the the, the two. Yeah, same TAA, best defender in the game. Um... I don't think anybody's essential. I don't think any single player in the game's essential. But he, if 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 you were uh, looking at the best defender to own, I don't think it's it's hard to make a case against him. Luca Dean's a great option as well. Very very attacking. But I'd just echo absolutely everything that Nick said. TAA would be the one I'd go for. Yeah, I think there's a case that pound for pound, TAA is the best fantasy asset in the game at the moment. Um, mm. I, I mean, just look at a lot of his, a lot of his numbers; it's just ridiculous for what he offers. Even though he is seven point zero, of course. Um, but I mean, he's got the highest X, XA from open play for a defender, uh, above the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, uh, above the likes of Paul Pogba, and he's also got um, he's also created more big chances than any other defender. He's just behind Kevin De Bruyne on that measure as well. And he's also got the free kicks. He's also got the the bonus points from Liverpool do keep a clean sheet. He's got so much in his going for him at the moment that I think that he's he's just one of those players that is if you don't own him and you're watching Liverpool play, like okay, they may have been rumbled a little bit in terms of how their fullbacks push on and how important they are to that attack. But not owning TAA because of the whole array of things in his locker plus the clean sheets on top, just yeah, it's very difficult to watch them and, and not own him. So he'd be the one that I would. I don't know, maybe he's this year's Robertson to some extent that he'd be the one that you just keep 
of those Liverpool players um, throughout the course of the season. And poor old, poor old Robbo, who we didn't talk about earlier, has had that drop, hasn't he? And it's a bit more debatable whether he or VVD, for example, is the uh, the accomplice if you are going to have two Liverpool players. I do love Luca Dean, though. Uh, Sir Leighton Dean. I think that he'll be, again, a good hold over the course of the season. Everton aren't particularly great, but you can imagine that there'll be some courses of, for him just putting in that little bit of magic to um, to pull your score up. So, for example, this week, just that cross from the, the cross from the edge of the box, um, which is a very FIFA sort of cross where you just mash circle when you're there and hope it goes in. And luckily for us, it, it did. And he nabbed a bonus point as well. So there you go. Um, but yeah, TAA, I think, is probably the man there. Um, and sticking with Liverpool, um, Tom Campbell, a good friend of the pod, hi Tom, um, asked if there's any merit in a TAA Firmino and Mane triple up. Um, which is uh, something that he's looking at on his wild card. He says uh, bad things do happen, so uh, it's what he's trying to do to make a difference. Uh, Adam, you don't look convinced, and you didn't sound convinced earlier on Liverpool generally. What would you say to that? Well, I might surprise you with my answer here. So TAA is coming in for me, almost certainly. I have Mane. I have toyed with the idea of having Firmino as well, because I think... I actually think he's probably been the most impressive of the Liverpool front three, on the eye in particular. I think he's been outstanding and I am considering it. I think the only concern with it is, I think, for my current team structure, because I don't have the wild card, I think it's probably better for me to go for somebody like Haller, etc. But I think it's a great shout. I really do. And... um, even though their their fixtures aren't great, and I think I think I think as you're not gonna as I may not be captaining them for for, for certain games, yeah, I could I, I think you could do that like like the idea and uh, attempted to do it myself. Yeah, I really like um, Roberto Firmino, and I think he's he's had a really good start to the season as well. I mean, we talked about some of the stats as well. He's, he's sort of top for goal attempts for all forwards right now with seventeen, so he's definitely impressive in terms of the the underlying stats. So he's he's, he's done all right so far with a couple of goals, and uh, you know he's a little bit cheaper as well compared to the likes of Salah, which means that likes of KDB in midfield being only. 9.5 or at least starting at 9.5 at the start of the season Firmino is only 9.5 so it does allow you a little bit more flexibility and allows you to afford two Liverpool attackers when um, you know to have both Mane and Salah is, is just such a massive chunk of your budget it feels like but having Mane and Firmino means you're essentially saving 3 million and you're having two Liverpool attackers so even on those days where Salah you know, absolutely smashes it at least TAA Firmino or Mane are going to get some attacking returns as well so uh it, it covers Salah as well a little bit as well and uh, gives you flexibility to probably fit in Sterling and KDB, perhaps even depending on your budget, um, into your team as well. So I think, yeah, I do understand the... the uh, yeah, I think it's quite a good idea, actually, for a little bit of a differential pick. Yeah, differential free. Okay, it does make sense. I think TA and Mane do make sense. Firmino, I'm just... I don't know. I loved him in that kind of 2016-17 season when he was the ideal third striker or second striker for quite a while. And he was in rich goal-scoring form that year. I think that he does... Just looks like Harry Kane, basically. Like He just plays further back to allow Mane and Salah in. And he seems to be the only guy capable of passing to both of them. He's like the intermediary between two warring school kids, isn't he? They don't pass to each other, but they pass to him. It's very bizarre. He's like the kind of the, the, so, the social glue which holds them all together, isn't it, to some extent? Um, whether he's an FPL asset in the highest order worth that amount of money compared to someone like Vardy or like the plethora of options underneath, um, I just don't know. I, I probably prefer... TAA and Mane 
um, Mane's differential over the big the Salah kind of dominancy. Do I want Firmino on top? I just don't know. Like I can see why you do it if you're trying to recover, but is he gonna Firmino? This is gonna get you that consistency of return to justify that price outlay compared to I don't know owns on that Haller who's still mm. under ten percent owns. I don't know. I'm not too sure I go with that, to be honest. And the final one this week is about the cheap defenders, who I haven't really spoken about, but it's an area of great interest, especially to me. So FPL Belgium has asked about them, and he asked who in the 4.5 or under category appeals in terms of these guys. So we've mentioned that there's quite a lot of kind of players in the premium brackets catching our eye, and we're going to have to get in these sorts of cheap players to counterbalance that. A really interesting one I'm looking at is the, the dynamic between uh, Gilbert and uh, Mings at Aston Villa. And I've seen that Mings has appeared in a lot of squads and he may well appear in mine as well. England's a Tyrone Mings, that is, so he's got Southgate stamp of approval as well. What do you think about um, these cheap defenders, Adam, and particularly about um, Gilbert and Mings? I think that'd be quite interesting to hear your thoughts on. Gilbert long-term could work out okay, but he's, I think he's been booked in both the games he started. So... He, he has got a bad track record for getting yellow cards. I think long, as the season goes on, he'll get a few assists, but he's also got Al Mohamedi waiting in the wings. So personally, I would look at either Engels or Mings. I think both have equal appeal. They both get a lot of... C, their CBI is very, very high, so the clearance is blocks and inception. In, in, inception. So... I think you could look at either of them. I think Villa in general looks solid and should get clean sheets. And I think you get the added literally bonus of, 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 the, of the bonus points if uh, with, with, with Engels or Mings. So I think looking at other players to compare them in the 4.5 category, I can't pronounce the Leicester guy's name, but I think he looks brilliant. I think, I think um, it's in a few clips on him yesterday. He looks very, very good. I think Dunk will have a good season as well. So they'd probably be the ones that I'd personally look at. Yeah, I think they're all um, decent picks. I mean, there's, there's, you, there's not too much to work from, to be honest. I think Villa uh, are certainly worth considering. Um, um, you know, the likes of Mings and Gilbert um, and obviously um, Engels is perhaps a more left-field pick as well. But um, I, I did notice the Villa... Um, have conceded actually most shots so far of all the teams with, with 77. Um, so it looks like they're, they're sort of under a lot of attacking threat, but only um, 16 have actually been on target as well. So perhaps it's some of the defenders, the central defenders are off-putting the strikers when they're firing those balls. So that's, that's a positive at least as well for them. Um, but certainly, um, certainly worth considering those Villa defenders, I think. Um, also looked at some of the other ones out there. Um, I looked at the fixtures, kind of say, right, who's got really good fixtures? Um, Burnley actually have quite a nice round of fixtures with Brighton, Norwich, um, Villa up next, and Everton um, and Leicester, and sort of their next five. So um, you know the likes of Lowton, perhaps, or you know could, could even potentially peer at Peters, who seems to have that sort of um, left back slot um, is his at the moment. He had a decent um, opening week against Southampton with a couple of assists. So he's perhaps one to consider as well, or maybe one of the, uh, the Crystal Palace guys as well. Maybe like, you know, the likes of Joel Ward perhaps as well as another option. Yeah, there are a lot of them flying around, aren't there? I mean, I do like um, I do like Tyrone Mings. I think that you know, if you are looking for someone cheap to kind of come in, um, John Lundstrom's the obvious option if you don't own him already. Like, he's in AWB territory like last year where he's still good value. 
Southampton, Everton next. Against Southampton, they'll be okay. Against Everton, oh, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit dodgy. Uh, Soyon Chu is uh, quite good for uh, quite good for Leicester, and also looks like Lord Farquhar, so that's quite an interesting <laughs> one to buy in. Um, yeah, it's it's just a case of basically picking two, and I've got this particular issue because I've got KWP and Balbuena to get rid of, so I've got basically spot a spot for two of these players and I just none of them really seem to stand out to me um I did look at kind of further into the Sheffield United players I mean Planet FPL mentioned George Baldock um who mm. is firing a lot of balls over and the other one is Jack O'Connell um he looks like the kind of the bamber of that team he's who's actually getting on the end of a lot of the the set plays and um, he's also one of these rampaging centre-backs that's been mentioned quite heavily in the press um, I think he's got four shots, four in the box at the moment, O'Connell. So he could be another one to keep an eye on. But I don't know. I think it might be, I might just be kind of just overcomplicating it. I think it might, I might just bring in Soyonchu and bring in Lundstram and just be done with it, basically. I did actually have an eye on Willy Bolly um, before he got uh, sent off today. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's such an awful option. It's just, again, so many horses in that particular race. We don't know who's going to emerge, but I just kind of want any kind of sense of solidity, which it looks like you may get from Villa may get a home from Sheffield United um, but I don't know if I want any of these players to be playing every single week maybe so Yunchu um, after this kind of after the Man United Tottenham and Leicester games in the next four are out of the way yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a tough it's a tough area I don't um, if anyone does have the answer please tell me because I've got no idea either uh, which is probably a nice segue on to our transfers and captains this week um, so I've got two. I've had I had two free transfers after rolling it this week, and one of my transfers has been done done already. I removed uh, Jota um, and put in Barnes, half in anger and half knowing that Barnes uh, shockingly hasn't been called up for either England or Austria. And um, so I thought that he he might as well just come in to avert the Jota drop. And I'll, I'll be sitting on what I'm going to do uh, probably until Friday the thirteenth, the Friday before the next game week, because I've got to figure out if I remove KWP or if I remove and or if I remove Valbuena and or if I remove Chabellos but I think I'm going to keep Chabellos now um, and just kind of concentrate on just making a bit of a defensive move and it, it might just be bringing in Ings and Soyon too because they both look like they're playing um, for the long term um, and it just kind of means I've got a stronger bench and I just don't have to worry about it basically anymore Nick who do you think they're bringing in? So, um, I mean, a lot depends really in terms of Anthony Martial and if he's declared fit for the the next game week. At the moment, he's orange flagged with 50% chance of playing. So it doesn't seem too positive. But ideally, I'd I'd like to to play him if he's fit. If he's not fit, then it might be that I um, switch him out for the likes of Mason Mount, maybe, who we talked about earlier. And then, um, yeah, and just do the the single move. I don't really want to do a... (laughs) third hit three weeks in a row I'm starting to be like you taking hits every week I'm not meant to be that guy so uh, I think um, at the moment it might be a Martial to um, Mount move perhaps but it's just a bit early to say at the moment I know my bench um, needs surgery as well but I, as I said I don't really want to be taking hits to sort out the bench either so I might just have to kind of ride through it and get another green with one pointer if, if someone doesn't play or but um, yeah, I think that's probably going to be my only move. And at the moment, I do have it on Sterling. I'm tempted um, by a Salah captaincy, actually. But I think, um, as you said, sort of about Norwich and them being sort of the, uh, the team you always want to have a player playing against, an attacking player, that is. Um, and uh, yeah, Sterling, Manchester City playing Norwich. He, he seems like Sterling just has to be the captaincy again, doesn't it? Yeah, so like you, I'll definitely be captaining Sterling. Um, I think he'll just get so much space to run in behind. I think it, 
I, I see more potential there than, than looking at Liverpool v Newcastle. I just think Newcastle do what they did at Spurs. They'll go and they'll sit deep and there won't be as much space to, to create opportunities. I think they'll get beaten, but I think we could see City winning 5-0, 5-6-0. Five, five, and I think I don't really see that with Liverpool. I think Newcastle, particularly having known what Bruce is like, you'll want to keep it tight. In terms of my transfers... Laporte to TAA is a certainty, bar an injury to TAA. Um, and I will make probably take my first hit of the season. And it will be at the moment, if I was doing if you know, based on the knowledge I had, I would do Rashford to Haller. Um, but you know, the the, the the other player I could bring in is Firmino. I just think that and they've got Chelsea the following week and I, I think more for the long-term moves, it's a bit easier for me to go with three up top if I don't invest as much money in that that um, second striker spot. So I think it's probably going to be TIA and Haller in for Laporte and Rashford. Yep, sounds strong. Um, I forgot to mention I'll also be captaining Raheem Sterling and I was very pleased to see people wavering on him and very pleased to see loads of people saying, oh, I'm not sure I can captain him against Norwich now. I was rubbing my hands and thinking, yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah, so please, if you do own Raheem Sterling and are just listening to this bit of the pod, please sell him straight away. He's terrible. I'd uh, advise buying Will Hughes or something like that because he <laughs> last week and Raheem Sterling didn't. Therefore, Will Hughes is better than Raheem Sterling. So sell, sell, sell. Cool, okay. We'll be back after the international break. We'll be kind of putting this out and then going silent for a little while. I'm looking forward to hiatus. What about you, Nick? Yep, having a little break from FPL, just a couple of weeks, a little bit of a holiday as well here. So that'd be nice as well. But um, yeah, just to say, of course, we are Who Got Your Sist. You can find us on Twitter, at WGTA underscore FPL or at WGTA underscore Nick. Make sure to listen and subscribe. Um, and our lead code is EIKX03 if you want to join us. So yeah, thanks thanks for coming on the pod, Adam. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to have you on the pod. And yeah, if you want to follow Adam, he, you can find him at a Hopcroft13 on Twitter, and he's a must follow. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Uh, there's a theme every week. The final thing to mention last week was Gavin and Stacey. So work very well done uh, if you got that one. And we're back after international break. In the meantime, I hope this assists you, and we'll speak to you very very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.